So one of the things we've covered this past Sunday and this previous Wednesday and the Sunday before that is we said the advents of Jesus, that word advent talks about his coming, his appearing. The advents of Jesus, the first advent is what we're celebrating right now in Christmas time. The second advent is the return of the Lord. So the advents of Jesus, the glorious bookends of this age that we live in are filled with hope. We who are approaching the coming second advent should be people of increasing hope as we see the day of his return approaching. As we get closer to the return of Jesus, we should increase in hope. We are not the hopeless. We are the hopeful. Go ahead, put that in the chat. Say, we are not the hopeless. We are the hopeful. Come on, say that out loud. If you're watching someone, you can put it in the chat. Put it in the chat. Say, we are not the hopeless. We are the hopeful. One more time, say it, believe it on the center of your being. Say, we are not the hopeless. We are the hopeful. We are called to be people of hope. As we await the second advent of Jesus, we need to increase in hope. Now, you're going to have hope in many different areas. You're going to have hope because hope is defined as positive expectation. So you can have hope where your health is concerned where your family is concerned, where your relationships are concerned, where your finances are concerned, where your career and business is concerned. All of those areas of hope are valid, they are good, and they are wonderful. However, you must make sure all of those hopes are founded on Jesus. If you want your hope to be strong and solid and endure the test of time, your hope has to be rooted in Jesus and his word. As I said, hope is positive expectation. Despair is negative expectations. It is your job to make sure you are in hope and not despair. Despair is evil hope. I'll say it again. Despair is evil hope. The Spirit of God is endeavoring to blow through your life today and stir you up to help shift you from despair to hope so that you can enjoy what God has for you in this last month of the year and move into what he has for you in 2022. You need to become a person of hope in every area of your life, in your health, in your family, in your relationships, in your finances, in your career. And whatever you do, you need to become a person of hope and turn from despair. Shift from despair and shift to hope. This is what you need to do in every area of your life. Not just one area, all these areas. You need to become a person of hope. Or as we talked about a week and a half ago, become a prisoner of hope. And so one of the things we looked at last Wednesday, and we're covering this Wednesday and next Wednesday, is the Magi. So let's go look at the Magi again and how it connects to what we're doing now. Go to Matthew chapter 2, as I said, verse 1. Let's look again at the Magi and their worship of Jesus. It says, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. And as Matthew is writing this, he uses this word behold, which means in the Greek, wow, can you believe? It? He's drawing attention. See what behold, we're so used to reading the story like, oh, look, King James creativity, behold. No, it's look, pay attention to this. Wow, this was amazing. And the thing is, when we think of the Magi, like we see the three dudes on camels on a Christmas card, we're like, well, that's cute, but what is that to behold? Well, what really happened can't fit on a Christmas card or in anyone's Christmas production or presentation. What really showed up in Jerusalem that day was a sight to see. That's why Matthew said, behold, wow, look at that. Go ahead, put it in that chat. Put behold. Go ahead, put that in the chat. Say, behold. He said, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, 
saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? So they kept going around asking, where's the king? Where's the king? We know he's here. Where? So this is what he's doing. It says, we have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Herod was troubled. People in Jerusalem were troubled because of what showed up with this magi. And when he had gathered all the chief priests, the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When, he had heard, when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till they came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. Now, when we think of wise men, you know, people say, well, three wise men. It isn't, the Bible doesn't say there's three wise men. It says there's multiple. We see there are three gifts. So when there's multiple wise men, we know there's at least two, but there can be several wise men. The Bible doesn't say how many. It just talks about three of the particular gifts they brought. So these wise men or magi, as we call them, we know their names, is a median group of priests and astrologers, excuse me, astronomers, heavily influenced by the prophet Daniel. They were known as kingmakers. They were a mixture of politicians and priests and rich people. They were very rich and usually traveled with armed guards. So when they showed up in Jerusalem, it wasn't just three dudes on a camel. Three dudes on a camel asking questions is not going to alarm a good portion of the city, nor the king. But three dudes who are carrying large treasures, servants attending their treasures, and an army to protect their treasures is going to cause a city to be moved because of what shows up with the wise men. So these were students, these magi were students of the word that they had been taught by Daniel. They held on to the word and watched for God's sign and confirmation. Then they traveled a great distance to seek Jesus to worship him. Now here's something we said on Sunday, we'll combine the two. We said one of the things I've been, you know, last week I was praying and, you know, I was out running, I'm just listening. You know, usually I, I take my time to pray after I run as I do my cool down. But this time I'm just running you know, listen to music as I run, God began to talk to me about different things. He said, you know, at this time of year, many people's mind are on gifts. And he said, that's fine. But what would shock most people is that my mind is also on gifts. And he says, it's not the gifts you buy at a store, you order online, but it's those gifts that are put on the inside of people, the giftings I put on, on the inside of people that they have allowed to grow dormant. And he was sharing with me how he wants to stir up those gifts again. So go with me to Romans chapter 11, verse 29. It was our text scripture from Sunday as we combine these two messages. Romans chapter 11, verse 29. It says, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Another translation said they are irrevocable. Another translation said they will not be withdrawn. Another translation yet still says God won't take them back. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance will not be withdrawn. They're irrevocable. God will not take them back. As we shared extensively on Sunday, I encourage you to listen to our message. God did not take back his gift because you messed up. He did not take back his gift because it's been too long. The gift that God has placed in you is still there and he is stirring it up 
again. The calling that God has called you to, the holy invitation that he's extended to you is still available for you to answer. Go with me to Luke 19, a tad bit of review as we're going to where we're going tonight. Luke chapter 19. Luke 19. Start with verse 11. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, occupy till I come. Another translation, do business till I come. So what does Jesus expect us to do between the first advent and the second advent? From the time of his birth, his ministry, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to when he returns again. What does he expect us to do? Occupy. What does he expect us to do? Do business. So that means we need to use the gifts he's given us. In this example, it's talking about he gave these minors to these 10 servants. This is a small amount of money. When he used a twin parable of Matthew 25, he uses the word talent, which is a large amount of money. And so whether you consider the gift God has given you small or you consider it huge, the gift God has given you needs to be put to work while you wait for Jesus to return. That doesn't mean you go hide out in a prayer closet and never do anything, no. Yes, be a person of prayer, but go out there and do what God has called you to do. Fulfill your calling. Use the gift God has given you. Go with me to 1 Timothy 4, verse 14. Similar advice Paul gave Timothy. 1 Timothy 4, verse 14. says, neglect not the gift that is in you, which was given you by prophecy with the laying on the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give yourself wholly to them that your profiting may appear to all. The word neglect means to make light of. It means to be careless of. It means to be negligent of. Have you been negligent concerning the gift God has put on the inside of you? Have you made light concerning the gift God has put inside of you? Have you been careless with the gift God has put inside of you? He's telling Timothy, don't do that. But then he says, meditate on these things. Meditate on what? Verse 14 and everything else that he's been sharing with this young man of God who would become the pastor of the largest church of the ancient world. He wouldn't have got that if he didn't follow Paul's advice. The word meditate here means to attend carefully. So pay attention to it. Don't neglect the gift. Pay attention to it. It means to practice. And it also means to imagine. See yourself doing what God told you to do. See yourself following these instructions that God has given you. See yourself using and operating the gift you're supposed to operate in. Practice it. Grow in your craft. Grow in your career. Grow in your gift. Develop your gifting. Think about this way. We all have muscles that need to be developed. Some people develop them and some people don't. Think about this. There are a lot of people with talents and skills and that's good. But you know who wins the day? Those who have talents and skills and develop them and seek to become the best at what they do. Some of the top athletes in our sports, whether you're thinking about Tom Brady, LeBron James, Steph Curry, whatever sport you're interested in, they're not just people who are just talented and say, well, I'm just talented. I'm just going to show up at the court, show up on the field. No, they work hard and they have a specific regimen they stick with so that they become the best of the best of the best. When it's time to perform, they can do what they need to do. They practice. Are you practicing your gift? Are you meditating on your gift? Are you imagining yourself doing what God has called you to do? Are you giving yourself giving attention to what God has called you to do? Now with this in mind, this review done, let's go back to Matthew 2.11 because we want to examine some things. 
Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. And when they, the Magi, were coming to the house, they saw the young child. So I know we, we like these you know, Christmas presentations where the shepherds and the Magi and everybody show up at the same time. Didn't happen. It's cute for the Christmas card. It saves time in a Christmas production. But when we study what, what actually happened, the Magi arrived somewhere between the age of Jesus being two and three. He's a young child now. He's not the babe in a manger. They're not in that manger cave barn area. They're in a house now. Now, remember, they, Herod thought they were in one area. The star led them to the other area exactly where they were. And so they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And I was listening to a message about this by Reverend Rick Renner, a Greek scholar, and that message is available on our Faith Plus app. And he was sharing how this word open talks about a grand opening. It's not opening like a little small box with a few trinkets. It's a huge procession of opening of gifts. The word presented means they're physically carrying large or heavy gifts. And the word gifts and treasures, as we see here, it's plural. And the word means, especially treasures, it's a storehouse of treasures. So it's not like, you know, we see in the Christmas card and, you know, the video I played for you guys today, slightly humorous and kind of getting us ready for where we're going tonight. We'll see what we see in most Christmas, you know, presentations, these wise men carrying, well, except the one who lost the gift in the video we showed earlier, but wise men carrying these small little boxes to present it to Jesus. That's good for a Christmas presentation. It saves time, the same space, it saves money on the Christmas budget. It's cute for a Christmas card, but that's not what the wise men gave Jesus. They gave these great treasures, these storehouses of treasures. Reverend Renner shared that according to the ancient custom, the gifts were commensurate to, of size to the recipient. The gifts were commensurate of the size or the status of the recipient. The gifts related to the status of the king they're presented to. So if it was a low-level king who was born or a low-level ruler, it'll be a low-level gift. But if it was a high-level king, a high-level ruler, they present a gift that matches his status as a king. And so the gifts, according to ancient custom of the Middle East, the gifts were commensurate of size to the status of the recipient, the gifts related to the status of the king. Now, one of the things I want to share with you, let's dive into this whole concept and let's imagine what actually was brought to Jesus. This word gifts, the type of gifts that the Magi would bring on a regular basis were vases and urns and carpets and exotic materials. This word gold here means many gifts of gold, not like a little small piece of nugget. It's many gifts of gold. And this word for gold describes the purest form of gold. It was gold that was reserved. It was the highest form of gold. It was reserved for political leaders and the wealthy. Frankincense, it grew in Arabia and Sheba. And so it was hard to fabricate and it was very rare. It was so expensive that in Israel, it was only used in the temple and the temple used about 700 pounds of it a year. It was a favorite fragrance of kings. And then myrrh was also rare and expensive. It was used to cure headaches and it was used for embalming. And now maybe we'll, next we get into some of the things these gifts symbolize. And one of the things that's very interesting, very interesting, listen to this. Frankincense and myrrh were more expensive than gold. Frankincense and myrrh were more expensive than gold because of their rarity and how all the cost it would to travel. Think about you know what you pay for shipping. And if you ship from somewhere very far and of the delays that could happen, all the efforts to go to get it to you, frankincense and myrrh had to be brought in. And even though the gold that was brought us of the highest and rarest form, frankincense and myrrh 
was even more rare and more expensive. The Magi took great care in presenting their gifts to Jesus. Now, one other thing about this gold gift, a low-level king in those days would be presented 110 kilos of gold, a low-level king. And 110 kilos of gold, translated in today's economy, is worth $5 million. A low-level king presented 110 kilos of gold, and today's economy would be worth $5 million. That's what Magi and others who follow this custom would present to a low-level king. A low-level king. Jesus was born king of the Jews, king of all kings. So imagine what the Magi would have presented to Jesus. Gold, frankincense, myrrh, everything they brought. They traveled a long distance, a large number of days to present these gifts to Jesus. So just imagine the value they gave to Jesus because the gifts were commensurate to the status of the king. Why is this so important to us? The Magi took great care in presenting their gifts to Jesus. We must do the same. We must take care in presenting our gifts to Jesus. The gifts God's put on the inside of us. That as we use it, as we practice, as we put it into use, it becomes a gift to our Father. It becomes a gift to our Messiah. How are you presenting your gift to Jesus? Is the way you're using your gift and operating your gift and pursuing your calling commensurate to the status of your Savior? Does it match the status of your Messiah? The way you're pursuing what God has called you to do, the way you're following after your calling, the way you're doing what God has called you to do is the way you are using your gift equating to the status of your Savior. That's something to think about. You can't even put that in the chat. Just put a question mark in the chat because I want you all to think about it. Every single one. Just put a question mark. Just type a question mark. That's a question you have to answer for yourself. Is the way you are using your gift and following after your calling and putting into practice what God has put on the inside of you, is it commensurate or does it match the status of your Messiah, of your King, of your Savior, of your God? The Magi took great care in presenting the gifts to Jesus. Do you take the same attention? Or are you neglecting the gift God has put on the inside of you? Or worse yet, as we looked at on Sunday, are you the wicked and lazy servant who hides their gift in the dust and in the dirt and they brush it off right before Jesus comes back and says, here's what you gave me. What are you doing with your gifting? What are you doing with your calling? If we want to take great care and presenting our gifts to Jesus in a way that's worthy of him, we have to do this through making sure we do not neglect the gift by putting the gift in use. But there's more if we want to present the gift in the way that we should. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It's a very familiar, uh, famous passage to a lot of us. Go to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding 
abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works into works in us unto him be glory in the church by christ jesus throughout all ages world without end amen we stop there we get excited and we shout about that it is wonderful but look at the next chapter remember this is a letter so he didn't just pause there chapter 4 verse 1 i therefore well, when you see, therefore, you go back a few verses, see what is there for. The reason he's writing this is because of things he covered in chapter 3, especially what he covered in verse 20 and 21. So he says, I, therefore, the prison of the Lord, beseech you to walk or to live worthy of the calling which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. The New Living Translation says of verse 1, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Wow. Another way we present our gifts well to Jesus is to live a life worthy of the calling. As I emphasize and share it again and again and again on Sunday, the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. They're irrevocable. They will not be withdrawn. He doesn't take it back. But you can live a life that doesn't match the status of the gift you've been given. You can live a life that doesn't match the status of the call that's been extended you. You can live a life unworthy of the call, unworthy of a gift. God's not going to take the gift back. The gift is still there. God's not going to cancel the call. The call is still there. God is not canceling you. The gift is still there. The call is still there. But it's on you to rise up and live worthy of the call. Go ahead, put that in the chat and say it out loud. Say, live worthy of the call. Come on, say live worthy of the call. Put that in the chat. Say it out loud. Say live worthy of the call. That is one of your responsibilities. If you want to present the gift well, if you want to take great care, or if you want to be a person who's just like, nah, here you go, Jesus, drop it all. Live however you want. It's showing your respect and love for Jesus. Jesus said, those who love me, do what I say. But if you really value Jesus, and you want to present your gift to him with as much care and attention as the magic presented the gifts to Jesus, then you live worthy of the calling that you've been extended. You live worthy of the gift that God has placed on the inside of you. See, Paul even told us to pray this way. Go to Colossians chapter one, because this is the way he prayed. We must live worthy of the calling that's been extended to us. This wonderful calling from our gracious, merciful God. Colossians chapter one, this is a prayer I pray for you every day. I encourage you to pray for yourself every day and pray for me every day. Pray for those you know. Colossians chapter one, starting with verse nine. For this cause also, we for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. What does that connect to? Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet or able to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. You need to live worthy. So what's the one the way you start with living worthy? Prayer. Father, help me live worthy of your calling today. Help me live worthy concerning what you called me to do, what you invited me to do. You frame your mindset when you're handling the assignments God's given you, that even if it's tough, 
even if it's challenging, even if it's taxing on you. You think about it this way. Jesus is worth it. See, the Magi, get this, the Magi thought Jesus was worth traveling all of these miles, traveling and traveling and traveling and traveling and traveling all of these miles to bring these gifts, these wonderful, large gifts, expensive gifts, and open them grandly before Jesus and present it to him as a matter of worship. They thought Jesus was worth the journey. Jesus was worth the effort. Jesus was worth all of those things. Is Jesus worth you getting out of bed and living holy? Is Jesus worth you getting out of bed and praying? Is Jesus worth you getting out of bed and reading your Bible? Is Jesus worth you getting out of bed and doing what God has called you to do? Is Jesus worth you forgiving everybody of everything? Is Jesus worth you walking in love? Is Jesus worth you walking by faith? Is Jesus worth you doing what you know to do? Is Jesus worth you working your land, expecting the reign of God? Is Jesus worth you engaging every giant and fighting the good fight of faith and expecting to receive victory from God? Is Jesus worth the effort you have to put in to this Christian life? Because a lot of times in this Christian life, we think we want God to do everything. But in the age of grace, you still got to work. In the age of grace, you still have a holy responsibility. In the age of grace, he still called you to live holy. There's still a part for you to play. And yes, there's times it's tiring. Yes, there's times you don't want to do it. Yes, at times like it seems it's too much. But on those days, you need to think about it this way. Jesus is worth it. Go ahead, put it in the chat and say it out loud. Say, Jesus is worth it because of who he is, his status, what he is to us, and what he's done for us. Our king, our Messiah, our God came down, wrapped in human flesh, lived among us, Emmanuel, God with us, showed us the way to live, gave us his example, taught and preached and healed among us, and then suffered for us, was crucified for us, descended into hell for us. But on the third day, God raised him up from the dead. 40 days later, he ascended. And 10 days after that, he sent the Holy Ghost. So we would not be without a comforter. So we would not be comforters. So we would not be orphans. He gave us everything we needed. And when God gave us Jesus, he gave us everything, Romans says. And if that's true, and it is, that means Jesus is worth us doing everything he's called us to do. It's time for us to act like it. The world needs the church to be the church. The world needs us to be people of hope. The world needs us to fulfill our assignment. And although there's things that are tiring, and there's things sometimes we don't want to do it, we have to think Jesus is worth it. The Magi thought it, and we think it too. Jesus is worthy of it all. You know, we love to sing that worship song, Worthy as a Lamb. They sing that in heaven till this day. We sing worthy songs. But your life needs to sing that song. Jesus is worthy. That's what you need to sing. That's what you need to do. That's what you need to live. He's worth it. I know he's worth it to you. So let's make sure we upgrade our living. Update our living to match the call and the gift God has given to us and extended to us. As we begin to close, I'll pick up more of this next week and some on Sunday. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, starting with verse one. See another way to live worthy? Live in a way that matches who Jesus is? Is to run your own race. 
Run your race, not looking what everybody else has to do. What God expects from everyone else. Run your race. Hebrews 12 verse 1. says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily snares us or besets us, it says in the King James. And so notice the sin, but also things that beset. When you run your race and you're living worthy, there are some things you're going to set aside. Not just sin, but things you know that it's not the time for it yet. Or it's going to hinder you doing what God has called you to do. But because you say you know that Jesus is worthy, you set it aside without stress, without fear. Because you know, I need to put this aside so I can do what God has called me to do. And hence, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Looking on to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When you do this and you live this life, you can live worthy of the calling if you keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't put your eyes on your imperfections. Don't put your eyes on your bad habits. Don't put your eyes on all the bad things you've done. Don't put your eyes on your past. Don't put the eyes on everyone doing stuff around you. Put your eyes on Jesus. Keep your focus on him. You'll be able to run your race with endurance. You'll be able to finish your race and say like Paul, I've kept the faith. I have finished my race. That's what we all need to do. As we approach the second advent, we need to live like Jesus is worthy because he is. We need to present our gifts to him like the Magi did by living the life that God has called us to live and fulfilling the assignment he has given us. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you because you are good and your mercy endures forever. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your encouragement and correction. Now help us not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of this word so we can be blessed in our doing. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.